If you would, turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. Genesis, chapter 22. As you know, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, following our theme for this year, Living by Faith. And we've spent some time uh, thus far looking at a number of the uh, Bible characters mentioned there in Hebrews, chapter 11. And we actually spent uh, four weeks looking at uh, Abraham and considering some aspects of the life of faith that he lived. And I mentioned last week we'd like to look at Genesis 22, this last of those subjects that we touched on, as we consider Abraham the father of believers. He had listening faith. According to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 8, when it said, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should hereafter receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He had a leaving faith. That verse also goes on to say, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. He had a living faith, though a temporary home, according to Hebrews 11.9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. And then Hebrews 11 verse 10, we see he had a looking faith for that permanent home, for he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. And then last week we considered his lasting faith. How in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 17 through 19, he endured the greatest of trials of his life. This morning we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 22 and considering some additional thoughts as to that great trial of his being commanded of God to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord. This was an amazingly difficult trial for Abraham. And we're going to get into a little bit of that in a moment. But uh, considering the fact that God has told him to now travel to to the land of Moriah, and God would show him a place where he wanted him to perform this sacrifice and carry out this offering to the Lord. We know they ended up at Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is only a few hundred feet above the valleys that were adjacent to it, and it measured about one and a half miles, or does measure about one and a half miles from end to end. Neighboring mountains are quite a bit larger than Mount Moriah. In fact, Mount Olives, which is a nearby mountain, is much bigger than Moriah. Even though this particular mount is small in size, I believe its significance is astronomical. Before we go any further, let me illustrate the importance of the value of a property. When a real estate mogul wants to purchase some property, uh, he or she might spend a considerable amount of time uh, evaluating a property to measure its worth and to evaluate its return on investment. However, there are a number of properties around the world that are attainable only by the (laughs) super-rich. And that's revealed in a recent study listing the top 10 most expensive cities in the world for real estate property. Just briefly, uh, 1 through 10, Monaco, Hong Kong, London, Singapore, Geneva, New York, Sydney, Paris, Moscow, and Shanghai. Just to give you an illustration this morning, if you had a million dollars to spend in one of these super properties, how much would a million dollars get you? Well, in Monaco... A million dollars will buy 15 square meters. 
That is the size of the length of this pew back to here, right there. If you went to the next highest property, uh, you would find that that million dollars would buy this much land. And then if you made your way uh, to London, a million dollars would buy this much property uh, to, to back to the middle of this pew. Now, New York coming in at number six on that list, boy, you get a bargain there for a million bucks. You not only get the length of this pew all the way back to the back pew, but you get this aisle as well. So a million dollars. I guess it doesn't go as far as you'd expect it to in some areas. But individuals or corporations are willing to spend that kind of money for land because they deem it worth the cost. Contrary to the world's financial wisdom, I'd suggest this morning that... This one spot, Mount Moriah, is the most valuable piece of real estate on the face of the planet. I believe that for several reasons. This one little area is hotly contested by many religions and nations. To the Christians, Mount Moriah is sacred because of the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Muslims, this area is sacred because it's the location of the Dome of the Rock, Uh, A shrine built 1,300 years ago which commemorates the uh, Muslim tradition that the prophet Muhammad traveled miraculously to Jerusalem and from there ascended up into heaven. However, there is no evidence that Muhammad ever was in Jerusalem, nor does the Koran even mention the city of Jerusalem by name. But Mount Moriah is important to the Jews for a number of reasons. This is the place where Abraham went to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord. This is a place that King David purchased. It was the location of the threshing floor of Orana about a thousand years earlier. And it was a place that he purchased for the purpose of stopping a plague God had inflicted upon that particular city. This is important because he paid 600 gold shekels for that property, meaning that purchase was a legal transaction giving the Jews the right to claim Jerusalem, this area, as their own today, contrary to what the Palestinians would claim. And then also, when David died, Solomon constructed a magnificent temple to the Lord on this property. He leveled an area on that mount for the purpose of the platform area where the temple would be built and also a place of dedication and consecration to the Lord. In this message, we're going to focus on what took place there in that particular area on Mount Moriah. And notice three things. First of all, Abraham's faith was great because it was tested by God, as we read in verses 1 and 2. May I say this, that we must learn in the school of faith that we will have occasional tests. For if God does not test us, we will never know spiritually where we are in our relationship with him. It's interesting, when you look back at the life of Abraham, you see he went through a number of tests all the way from the beginning of his uh, relationship with the Lord. First, there was the family test in Genesis chapter 11 when he had to leave loved ones behind and head to a new land. There was the famine test, which by the way he failed when he uh, doubted God and went down to Egypt for help in Genesis chapter 12. And then we see also in Genesis chapter 12, there was the fellowship test that he passed when he gave life 
Lot first choice of pasture land. There was the fight test when he defeated the marauding kings in Genesis 14. There was the fortune test also in that chapter when he refused the wealth and riches of Sodom. Then there was the fatherhood test which he also failed uh, when he and Sarah got impatient and had a child. Abraham had a child by Hagar, her handmaid. And then there was the farewell test, which he did pass. When the time came to send Ishmael away, Abraham passed that, even though it broke his heart. Not every difficulty or experience in life is necessarily a personal test from God. Of course, every experience could become a test, but... uh, it could also become a temptation, depending upon how we deal with it. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You know, sometimes our own disobedience can cause pain or disappointment, such as when Abraham went down to Egypt and to Gerar. Sometimes our hurts, though, are simply a normal part of life. We experience change as we get older. We experience change in our own bodies, in our relationship with our family, friends, home, circumstances, surroundings. Not all of these things are terrible, by the way. But it would do us well to learn the difference between trials and temptations. Abraham was put to the test. And because he passed so many of these trials, God blessed him richly. Temptations come from our desires within us. Trials come from the Lord with a special purpose to fulfill. Temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us. Trials are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us. Temptations seem logical. Trials seem very unreasonable. After all, Why would God give Abraham a son in his old age and tell him that he had to sacrifice him? There are times when God puts us in situations, tries our faith, and it just doesn't make sense. This is one of those situations that didn't make sense. God's testings are tailor-made for each child of God, and each experience is unique. After all, God did not cause Lot to go through the same trials that Abraham did. Lot was dealing with being a backslidden, wicked individual that compromised and bought into the, the, uh, the worldly ideology of the city of Sodom. But Abraham, on the other hand, was seeking to please the Lord, and God worked in Abraham's life to further develop his faith and to demonstrate that Abraham truly was a man of God. When the Lord allows trials to come into our lives, it's for the purpose of bringing about His good in and through our lives. And even though they may seem difficult at the time, we need not resist the Lord when He sees fit to send trials our way. Someone has said, God never sends a trial 
until he knows we're ready for it. Oswald Chambers said, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means when I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. You know, certainly for us, when we find ourselves facing these tests, these trials from the Lord, we needn't be angry, bitter, or resentful toward the Lord, but we need to seek God's face that we might learn the lesson that he has for us. Well, notice down in verses 3, 4, and 5, Abraham was not only tested, but he focused on the promises rather than explanations. Verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unreasonable, to do what seems unbearable, and to expect what seems impossible. Here, Abraham gave us a great lesson of faith because he chose to live by promises, not explanations. Whether you look at Joseph in prison, Israel at the Red Sea, David in the cave, or Jesus at Calvary, the lesson is is the same. Consider how unreasonable this request was. God gave Abraham and Sarah a son in their old age, Isaac. They loved him dearly. The promise was given that through Isaac, Abraham would be the father of a multitude and father of nations. In fact, his seed would be as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seas, innumerable. And yet, God said, I want you to kill him. This is one of the most amazing stories in the Old Testament. And can you imagine the heartache that Abraham endured during this three days when he left his home and traveled to Mount Moriah? In his mind, Isaac was dead. You see, he believed that God was going to raise him up. For many of us, in a given situation where God sees fit to try us, to put our feet to the fire, so to say, our response is often, Why, Lord, or why me? Right away, we want God to explain his actions. We want God to justify the reason whereby he is dealing with us. But God has reasons far beyond our own understanding. You know, sometimes the Lord sends trials to our lives for the purpose of purifying our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a, re- a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He may send trials into our lives for the purpose of perfecting 
our character. James chapter 1, verse 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He may also send trials into our lives for the purpose of protecting us from sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we see Paul in verse 7 saying, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Abraham heard God's word and immediately obeyed. I believe he knew God's word would never contradict his will. Though Abraham didn't understand the reasoning behind this command, though he couldn't see what was going to take place three three days out into the future, he obeyed the Lord knowing that God knows best, knew best for him. And I believe it would do well for us to also obey the Lord when he speaks to our heart, being convinced that God knows what is best for us. You see, he laid hold to the claim that in Isaac... Shall thy seed be called? How do we know that? Look at verse 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and notice and come again to you. Abraham believed God and took him at his word. God said, I'm going to give you a seed and through your son, you will become the father of nations. Abraham didn't understand all the aspects of God's command. He didn't see clearly all the, uh, all the steps of God's will that would be uh, put into a measure, but he simply believed God. And when he said to his two servants there at the base of Mount Moriah, you wait here. Isaac and I are going to go to the top of the mount. We're going to worship God and we're going to come back again. He believed with all his heart that God was going to raise up his son Isaac. He believed that God would resurrect his son from the dead. He didn't know how. He didn't understand all of that but he believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. We see over and over and over again Abraham has given evidence to the fact that he truly is as the scripture deems the father of believers. What a great example for us. But too many times we back up and say, no, no, Lord, not now, not yet, not that way. No, I want to do it my way. Oh, a man of faith, a woman of faith will say, yes, Lord, your will and none other. Because he believed God, Abraham had no intentions of bringing back a corpse. It has been pointed out earlier in this series that Abraham believed God and obeyed him when he didn't know where Hebrews 11.8 he didn't know when Hebrews 11.9 he didn't know how Hebrews 11.11 and he didn't know why 
Hebrews eleven seventeen, And this was one of those, I don't know why, but I'll do it anyway, situations. Faith does not demand explanations of God. Faith rests upon the promises of God. Abraham. Abraham was tested. Abraham focused on the promises of God. And Abraham depended upon the provision of God. We see that in verses 6 through 14. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the wood and the fire. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. That is one of the greatest statements in the word of God. We'll come back to that in a moment. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Two statements reveal the emphasis of this passage. Verse 8, God will provide himself a lamb. And Jehovah Jireh in verse 14, which means the Lord will see to it or the Lord will provide See, Abraham climbed Mount Moriah with his son Isaac and was confident that God would meet every need. At this point in his life, he was dependent solely upon the Lord. Who else could he depend upon? (laughs) Or what else? He couldn't depend upon his feelings. There must have been terrible pain of heart during this whole endeavor. But he loved Not only his son Isaac, but he loved the Lord and wanted to obey God. He couldn't depend upon other people such as Sarah. She was back at home. He couldn't depend upon the men he left at the camp. You know, it's nice to have friends that will carry a burden with us. Scripture says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of God. It's wonderful to have friends that we can go to to share our burdens with, to pray with us about something, and to know they will go to the Lord on our behalf. But there are some burdens that have to be carried alone. This was one of them. Abraham found himself in a position where at this point in his life he could trust in God and none other. 
There's a point in David's life when he found himself dealing with great sorrow and heartache. And the scripture says David encouraged himself in the Lord. God will provide a means by which we may be encouraged in him. It is only then that we will truly see him as our heavenly father and see what he can do for us. Abraham depended upon the promise of God. Notice verse 13 with me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. You see, God did provide the sacrifice that was needed. We mentioned earlier, verse 8, the scripture said, God will provide himself a lamb. There are two ways that statement can be read and understood without doing harm to the text at all. One would be that God himself is going to provide that sacrifice to be used in this particular situation. Or the other way of reading it would be God himself will be the sacrifice in this event. Either way can be correct. And either way is equally important. For we see God provided that which was needed. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But not only that, we do recognize that this is, of course, a picture of the death of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's tree, wherein God provided his son as the sacrifice for the sin of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, God did provide the sacrifice that was needed. We ask ourselves a number of questions here. Where does the Lord provide our needs? He does so in the place of his assignment. Abraham was at the right place so God could meet his need. You know, we have no right to expect God to do for us when we're out of his will when we're walking in sin, when we're away from the Lord, the scripture says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Another question we might ask is, when does God meet our needs? He does so at just the right time and not a minute before. Sometimes it looks like God has waited too long, but all be assured, God is never late. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How does God provide for us? As I mentioned already, Hebrews chapter 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God provides for us out of his great storehouse. Yes, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but he owns the hills as well. All of the wealth in this world belongs to him. And God is able to provide for his children. And to whom does God give his provision? To those who faithfully walk with him and trust in him. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things 
shall be added unto you. The last question we would ask ourselves here is why? Why does God provide our need? For his great glory and his namesake. In the Lord's model prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it begins with the statement, Hallowed be thy name. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All the other requests that he gives in that example for how we should pray hinge upon the fact that God is holy, just, righteous, gracious, and good to his own. Why does God do that? For his glory. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. As someone has said, he does these things for his glory and our good. Abraham was tested by God. Abraham focused on the promises of God. And Abraham depended upon God's provision. He didn't have all the answers when he went up the hill. But he knew God did. And when he came back, what a story he could tell. And you think about how he relayed that message over and over and over again to Isaac. As he repeated it with him. But what about Jacob? What about his descendants that he had an opportunity to share this great story with? Beloved, we have a great story to share as well as the result of our faith. That, of course, is the message that Jesus Christ loves us and died for us. And he's given us a home in heaven. The obedience of Abraham in offering up Isaac is a representation of the love of God in delivering up his only begotten son to suffer for our sins. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. But it is also a representation of our duty to God in returning our love to him. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, this event, Isaac being offered as a sacrifice to God by his father, though the story turned out differently than Abraham had anticipated In his mind, no doubt, it turned out better. God's message is far better and far greater than anyone can imagine. And if we would be faithful as God's children in sharing that message with others, they will come into contact with an individual, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the greatest of all persons. They will find the message to be the most wonderful of all messages, Jesus saves. And they will find their home in heaven, eternal glory, to be the greatest of places they could ever hope to live. Abraham 
Remember, look for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. He understood there's more to life than life itself. Oh, if we would follow his example and look to the Lord in everything we do. Let me close with this illustration. There was a dramatic moment in the world's history when General Pershing placed the American army under the command of General Folk. He had just been made the commander of the Allied forces in the field. And one sentence that Pershing uttered at that time, although not widely quoted, is very significant. He made this statement, infantry, artillery, aviation, all that we have are yours. Dispose of them as you will. I believe God wants his children to make a similar declaration. Lord, all that I am, all that I have, dispose of it as you will. God certainly is pleased with those who put their trust in him. Abraham was a great example of one who did exactly that. May we follow his example.